Welcome to Helsinki Open Waves. You are listening to Ferment Radio, a podcast series on bacterial and social fermentation. Fermentation can incite social action, spark creativity and bring surprising new tastes to our lives. My name is Agapo Krivka and I invite you to join us in a conversation on living interconnectivities. From macro to micro, from societal to cellular and from global to personal. We've previously spoken on Ferment Radio about spirulina, a kind of cyanobacteria. Today, another kind of this multifaceted bacteria are the topic of our conversation. This time, it is about water pollution. Blue-green algae are popularly known for their blooms, which make humans hesitant to swim in lakes, seas and oceans during summertime. However, there is something much worse than resigning from a cool dip in the water. Eutrophication is the cause behind these harmful blue-green algal blooms, dead zones and fish kills. Why does this happen? Is there a way to reverse it? When we talk about climate change, which in large part relates to water pollution, it is very hard to avoid feeling of helplessness. In our conversation today with Marie Granström, we try to bring hope to this difficult topic. Marie is the co-founder of Origin by Ocean, a Finland-based company whose mission is to turn excessive blue-green algal blooms into sustainable solutions. But who can tell us more about Mari and her work better than Mari herself? I am uh, Mari Granström. I'm a chemist by training, so I have a PhD in organic chemistry, and uh, and I'm working on algae and developing new technologies how to extract value from this marine biomass. Mm, so uh, the company is called Origin by Ocean, right? And uh, I wanted to ask you, like, why the mission of of your company is so important? Like, uh, what's what's this? Uh, yeah, what's the most important in your company for you? Well, I think the most important thing is that we are definitely tackling a huge global environmental problem. So. Eutrophication is not just a problem of the Baltic Sea, but it's the problem of all the oceans we have. And and I think, unfortunately, it's it's been one of these topics like acidification of the oceans as well, that people have not been talking about those things a lot. And I guess the reason really is that you don't necessarily see that in your everyday life if you are not a fisherman or if you are not really working, you know, in the sea or in the oceans to see that problem. And that's why we exist. So I think that's really the the most important uh, mission we have as a, as a company. Do you remember still like how how this all started? Where where this interest particularly came from for you personally? I, I do. I do. So my background is that um, when I finished my PhD, I defended my thesis in Finland. And then I moved to Germany. So I was working for BASF, which is one of the biggest chemical companies in this world. And uh, I was working on a renewable chemical area. And uh, we were looking at different like biomass, biorefineries, new technologies and all that jazz. And, um, and I kept going 
to different locations in the world because I also surf and dive. And uh, I was looking at these areas. And I think what happens is that once you keep going back to the same spot, you start to see the difference. Like you don't see that if you go to like Thailand <laughs> every now and then to different places, you don't necessarily see the difference, what happens in the ecosystem. But when you keep going back to the same spots, you actually start to see that. And uh, when I was diving, I'm always being highly interested in doing a bit of a biodiversity mapping and, and seeing how the corals are doing and all that. And I started to see that the places were not the same anymore. And the first signs of eutrophication was happening also uh, in South Asia, uh, not to mention the bleaching, the coral bleaching, which was already a huge problem uh, already 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, that made me think that if we could basically help nature with, this, with these problems we have actually created and they suffer from, um, to create value from this environmental problem. So I started the whole Origin by Ocean idea as a hobby of mine. So I was like scribbling things down in, in the evenings and like looking into these ecosystems and, and trying to learn more about why things are going wrong, uh, what are the species affecting it and how the whole kind of uh, thing is rotating. And, uh, and then I was thinking that, you know, one day I will initiate a company out from this idea. And then years, years, years went and, uh, and then became the day <laughs> when I realized that, okay, now is actually a good time to start. And I just want to initiate this company and see if we can, if we can do it. And here we are today. Wow, that's great. Um, you use this word eutrophication and uh, I would like to ask you to maybe clarify a little bit. Uh, yeah, what is this process exactly? Oh, that's a difficult thing. Um, In well, a simple eutrophic... way, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eutrophication means that you have excess of nutrients um, in the water body. So you have way too much of phosphorus and different type of uh, nitrogen compounds, nitrates, and, and all those type of uh, species floating about. And, uh, and then when you have too much of them, things start to happen. And normally the processes themselves, what happens in the eutrophication, are extremely difficult to understand because there are a lot of different species um, taking part in this eutrophication cycles. So like in the Baltic Sea, we have this massive um, internal nutrient cycle taking place and there are so many different species affecting it. So kind of like, you know, one comes in and the other one is benefiting from that and it's going away and doing its own cycle and releasing more nutrients back to this water body. And, and, and so the, yeah, the problem is there. And the only way to stop that is to take the nutrients out somehow. Mm -hmm. So these nutrients, they are coming mostly from agricultures or also from other kind of human activity? Oh, yeah. So it's not, agriculture is, is kind of the, the easiest target we have <laughs> to go and do the finger pointing and say, like, you guys, you are evil. Uh, yes, they've done, they share definitely, but they have also improved. We have to have to remember that. Uh, we also have a lot of industrial players still today, also in Finland, uh, releasing their wastewaters into the 
uh, water streams and the Baltic Sea. So all of these human activities together sum up and cause this problem. So I'm always saying that the Baltic Sea did not create this problem itself. It was actually, you know, us and our actions on land which created this massive eutrophication problem we see today. Mm-hmm. So if I understand well, you are um, dr- designing the process, how to fetch those. Yeah, what, 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 are, you, what are you looking for? What, what is this, uh, what you want to take out? Is it like more the substance itself or the organisms which are overgrown uh, while feeding on those nutritions? Yeah, so there are two things. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, in order to help, uh, let's say, let's talk about the Baltic Sea now, in order to help the Baltic Sea with this uh, nutrient problem is to take the nutrients out. Uh, we can't go and just, you know, pick the nitrates or the phosphorus out with our hands. So we have to have some sort of a vehicle where they are attached, if you like, Um, and that's why uh, blue-green algae blooms are taking place in the Baltic Sea, because blue-green algae is a bacteria. It loves phosphorus. Nitrogen for, for cyanobacteria is kind of a, it's not that interesting because it's clever enough to take it from the air. But phosphorus is, is something that, that it really loves. So when we remove cyanobacteria, blue-green algae, from the Baltic Sea, we actually remove the nutrients as well. So all the phosphorus uh, comes with, with it when we take it out. And, uh, and then also we have another feedstock, macroalgae. So we use Fucus vesiculosus, which is the, I think, bladderwrack is the name that somebody might know. Um, so we farm a bladderwrack as well in the Baltic Sea. And when we take the bladder rack out, uh, we also take uh, nitrogen and the uh, other Okay, other so this one, this one you are farming and you, you are able to, to harvest in a way what is already there from blue-green algae, right? Or you also can yes. farm the blue-green algae? No, we don't farm the cyanobacteria because there is no need. We have plenty in the Baltic Sea and also in the lakes in Finland. So we definitely want to use the wild, we call it a wild population cyanobacteria because it comes from the nature. So you have a lot of different species there. What products we could find this kind of uh, cyanobacteria uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the nice thing is about cyanobacteria is that it contains, a, uh, as a chemist, you know, I see it as a pool of very interesting molecules. And um But being a very small company, being a startup, uh, we can't do all of them in one go. So we have to choose which ones we want to take out. And at the moment, uh, we are focusing on uh, uh, antioxidant, uh, which is acting as a UV uh, blocker in cyanobacteria. So we are, we are extracting and purifying that. Mm-hmm. Personally, I really like cyanobacteria because they are such a multifaceted species, like from inventing uh, photosynthesis through, um, yeah, being like such an ancient uh, bacteria itself. And uh, there is so much research now being made on like, I don't know, sending them to space and, and making of it like a spirulina as a kind of uh, cyanobacteria, uh, space food for, for, I don't know, deep space exploration. So I think you are adding with the activities of your company to another 
another <laughs> angle or, or use of this um, of this species. Um, when I was browsing your webpage, uh, I noticed that you are uh, stating there that you are farming uh, blue-green algae in a sustainable way. And uh, what does it mean in, in in here? Like, I imagine that this is this is a process which which also involves like uh, people, the materials you use. Could you tell a little bit more about that? Well, we are not farming, so so we are not farming cyanobacteria. Oh blue yeah, I meant harvesting. Sorry. <laughs> yes, harvesting. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so that means that we are at the moment, of course, testing different prototypes for harvesting. And as we are looking at building a production site, which means that it will be a very, very, very big capacity. So we have to look at these technologies of harvesting um, in that particular way that we know that, okay, right, if we find something which works, it can be scaled up. So we know we are well aware there are quite a few uh, technologies out there uh, for small-scale harvesting, and we are testing some of them. And and we are, um, yeah, we are just searching for uh, technologies to be scaled up. Um, that means when we do the harvesting, it's very important to understand what you actually remove uh, from from the water. So we want to make sure that we are not um, removing things which are very crucial for the ecosystem because that would be just silly. And, uh, and that's why we've done a lot of work to understand the perfect time also for the harvesting. And um, we have a place where we monitor the water body all the time in terms of the nutrients and pH and, and all the important information of the chlorophyll concentrations and all that jazz to understand that what is the perfect window where we can, let's say, I can't say it's like 100% selective, but... Uh, aim for very high selectivity in the harvesting as well. So that's that's what it, what it means when we say that we are doing a sustainable harvesting. That we are not just going out there and like you know taking <laughs> taking everything what we can, but we also want to do that from the from the ecosystem point of view. That because it would be crazy, right? You know, we we want to help the the Baltic Sea and the ecosystem, and at the same time, you know, if if we're doing something that we are harming it. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's why there are a lot of like moving parts in this in this picture that that we need to understand. And I think it's the key when you are when you are developing technologies uh, based on the nature and natural cycles. You need to understand the ecosystem, and uh, that's what we have in our team. We we have people who have spent most of their time underwater in the Baltic Sea to study the ecosystem. So we really, really want to understand that and we really want to do it right. And we also don't want to go and force nature to do something which is against, you know, their way of like behaving. I'm talking about the species and, you know, all that. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's very important uh, to understand and appreciate that. And that goes like I'm as a person, I'm I'm being just shocked about the the way you know we humans exploit the nature. It's like we, we always want to, it's like with the animals, right? You have zoos, you know, we wanted to take the animals and put them into the cage and then go and you know eat sweets and like stare at them, which I think is crazy. 
But the same thing holds true here that, that you know, it's just not the thing that you go and exploit. You just try to captivate things and take, you know, take as much as you, you can without thinking what happens to this ecosystem. And, uh, and that's why in our case, we have built our values and like the whole operational chain in that way that we appreciate and, um, and understand and, and value the ecosystem. We actually want to help. Yeah, th thank you for bringing this up because um, I was thinking that if you come with the solution for a problem, the risky part is that um, systems which actually are the pollutants, who are uh, part of the economy, which is disrespectful towards the environment, they will say, okay, we don't need to care anymore. Somebody came up with the solution, so we do not need to change. And uh, however, the, the idea of um, origin by ocean is beautiful. When I was thinking like almost in a sci-fi far future, you know, How long do we need this kind of companies? How long, uh, or solutions, how long uh, nothing will change in a way? Or you actually mentioned that there is a change, but uh, uh, yeah, how, how long Origin by Ocean has to exist to, to, to make this change? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm always saying that we are we are not like the superheroes that now we are saving like first the Baltic Sea and then the the oceans definitely not we are just a tiny tiny piece of a puzzle and uh, and I think that when we can operate on a larger scale we will definitely see the change but the change might be very tiny and only visible for those who can observe it. Um, The Baltic Sea situation is so bad. I think uh, WWF said it very nicely or terribly <laughs> that um, if we were to stop all the activities now in every single country um, around the Baltic Sea area, we would not see the difference in next 80 years. And I think that kind of underlines the seriousness of the situation we are facing when it comes to the eutrophication But I still think that companies like ours, uh, we don't have the similar type of a mindset as the big corporations like the dinosaurs who've been there for a long time that they want to make profit uh, every quarter. You know, you want more and more money and you maybe measure your profitability by looking at euros or dollars or whatever your currency is. Um, but we see that more like we are very elastic and flexible that when, we, when dealing with these environmental uh, problems and turning them into opportunities, for us, the great outcome would be that this particular problem is kind of like, it's not there anymore, it's gone. And then we can move to the next one. And, uh, and that's, that's the mindset we have. So I don't, I don't see that as a as a risk i see that as a very positive outcome and uh and i think that you know if this day happens uh that would be amazing like we would buy a bottle of a dom perignon and and celebrate that like that would be amazing yeah i was also thinking um, about uh, the whole idea of of cleaning an ocean or the sea from from the pollution humans put in there 
a little bit, you know, as the the system which uh, many cities have, like, uh, you know, that there is a place where we put our trash, then this trash goes somewhere. And it's usually the cities itself or a local governments which um, kind of invest in those systems or they somehow organize it that it is functional if it if this exists, of course. And I was thinking that it's a tricky part, for example, with the Baltic Sea, that in a way trash or this leftovers from other processes go there, but there is no really a system which would take care of it. It's like really like dumping trash into the forest, let's say, and then thinking, okay, maybe the problem is gone. Yeah, absolutely. And... I think we still tend to think that we don't do that. When I talk to people, most of the people tell me that, no, 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 but this is not true. Like, it can't be true that, like, industrial players are releasing their wastewaters into the Baltic Sea, or or it can't be true that, that we still have this problem, especially in Finland. People tend to think that we have already sorted out these problems. And it's, it's definitely it's not true. And, and, I, and I also think that once you have uh, the problem like we have in the Baltic Sea, that it has actually become a norm that the Baltic Sea is in such a state. So we need to help. Everyone is like investing money into these different foundations and associations to help uh, to improve the, the situation of the Baltic Sea. But it's such a norm that people are not even expecting to see the results, right? You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things that you try to help, but nothing really happens. And uh, I think we've been in that situation for too long. And, and I think that, that uh, we need to do more concrete actions uh, to really help it. It's not going to be easy, definitely not. It's one of, one of the most difficult things is to help, like... Uh, water bodies which are contaminated it's it's terrible well we can see that with the plastic waste problem right um so but yeah yeah we definitely should should do whatever we can and at written by ocean we try i also wonder how much uh, the situation of baltic sea and its uh, pollution is in a way unique and it goes farther to like a more business side in a way what you do, like how scalable is your solution in a way that, um, yeah, is it like all basically global waters, oceans and so on? Do they deal with a similar uh, environmental problem or it is much more complex than that? Oh, absolutely, they do. They all they all share the same problem. Um, the Baltic Sea case is just very different because of the unique ecosystem it has built, um, because of the brackish water and you know all the other aspects. Uh, but the same problem, the eutrophication, is seen all over the world. Uh, in Australia, not to mention China, in the US, it's massive problem. And also, we start to see more invasive species um, taking over different areas in the oceans, like uh, sargassum seaweed in Caribbean, in Mexico, is a massive problem. And we are already working together with, um, with some of the states um, of Caribbean uh, to help them with this massive sargassum seaweed problem they have. So that's why uh, we said from day one that our technology is scalable and it can be it can be used wherever the problem is. So we can take different 
macroalgae species like sargassum, they all belong to the brown seaweed group. So we can take all kinds of species from there. And same holds true for the cyanobacteria as well. Would you say that eutrophication of the of the waters is the biggest problems of the seas and oceans? Or it is so complex and so like a made of different components that it's very hard to really judge it like this. It's just a combo of everything at once. Well, that's a very political, ah, <laughs> political okay. question. Yeah. I didn't mean that, but that's already an interesting comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think depends. Um, I, I don't know. Have you watched the Sea Spiracy from no, Netflix? No, I haven't. You should do that. I think it's revealing a lot of different um, politics behind the oceans. Um, the thing is that it depends what your business is and where you come from. Uh, the answer will be accordingly. So if you go to Asia to ask this question, people would say that, oh, it's the plastic issue. Um And of course, in the Baltic Sea, you would get 80%, I guess, I'm just saying a number, but you would get the answer of eutrophication. And going to Mexico, you would get eutrophication as, as the answer. So I think it depends what you see. Like, again, I think we only believe uh, things that we can see, which are really, really visual for us. And, um, and that has been an interesting question and discussion to follow Um, what is like the main problem of the oceans today? Is it eutrophication? Is it acidification? Or is it the plastic waste problem? And there are a lot of calculations um, to show the areas uh, where you have these different problems um, taking place or or you might have all of them in in certain locations. So it's not very... It's not very uh, Yeah, it's not very straightforward, as you can see. But uh, but I would still say that eutrophication and acidification are the main problems what we are facing. We just don't, if you don't dive or if you don't spend time in the ocean, you just don't necessarily see them. And, uh, and these two guys, they go hand in hand and uh, they are creating all kinds of problems we don't understand understand if you are not aware how this ecosystem works like invasive seaweed species you know they come because of eutrophication and acidification and um yeah i mean not to even mention the overfishing what we've done <laughs> so that's not helping the 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 problem either so there are i mean oceans are facing a, a lot of different type of pressures from from our actions And I think we should take all of them very, very seriously. You've mentioned that if you dive, you can see the results of, of those processes. Uh, I don't dive, so I have no idea how does it look besides, you know, uh, blue-green algae blooms, uh, as we mentioned before. What What is this image like? Uh, I I mean, I ask because I think if we talk about environmental catastrophe it's so often like out of our senses that therefore it is very easy to ignore it uh, but yeah could you describe this this experience of uh, of diving and actually seeing with own eyes like how the effects of eutrophication look like 
Yeah, it's very sad. Um, you have basically areas, we call them dead zones, where nothing grows. There is nothing, absolutely nothing. It almost feels like something really bad has happened. Like, you know, when you enter a town that used to be a happy you know, community and very lively and all that jazz, and then you go back after war and you can see that there is hardly anything left. And that's the feeling, like, there is, there is nothing, there is no, there, there is, yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe that. It's just that, it's just a very sad view and a very sad feeling. You have a lot of uh, different slimy algaes maybe growing somewhere. Um, you can even smell the, the sulfur and all the other. Uh, oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's like a composting, an aerobic composting process taking place. Um, it's uh, it's murky and it's not it's not very happy place. It's not definitely that. And if you dive somewhere where you have a lot of beautiful hard corals, um, you can see that the bleaching has taken place. So all these like beautiful colors you used to have, they are more or less gone. They are white or grayish. And then you start to see that the corals are very tiny and uh, there is just a lot of like a massive amount of coral bits lying on the seafloor and, and you hardly have any fish there anymore. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just very, very sad. So bleaching is also an effect of eutrophication, right? The bleaching comes uh, from the carbon dioxide problem. Mm. So more CO2 we produce, more CO2 needs to be absorbed by the oceans. So the oceans are actually helping us to have oxygen and they are helping us to get rid of all that CO2 we are producing every minute. So when the CO2 gets dissolved uh, into the water, it gets acidic. So the pH goes down. And all the corals, hard corals and, and all kind of a, a shells, uh, species having shells, they are calcium carbonate. So what happens is that this acid is actually eating away or dissolving uh, this, this lime. And, uh, and that's why you see that problem. So everything dies. And that's what you need to have. I mean, that's that again, we come back to this ecosystem that that's why you need to have these certain like macro algae types like kelp or in the Baltic Sea, it's fucus, it's our bladder rack, uh, absorbing this carbon from the water body. So again, helping the water body to get back to the normal pH by taking the carbon. So that's why they are very, very important species in this ecosystem. And as you can see, like all these different species in the oceans, they have a certain role. They are there to do something. So there is no such a thing that, okay, let's get rid of these guys, whoever they are, because they are not needed. I mean, we humans don't understand that it's very important that they are there and they, they do their job. So that's why I'm a bit concerned to see that uh, when this whole seaweed industry uh, started, that people started to to harvest uh, widely grown kelp. And um, I, I think it's, it's, it's not a good thing to do because the kelp forests are very important mm -hmm. parts, especially in this acidification. Um, 
system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to say that uh, if I would not ask you this question, uh, you know, how the dead zones look and so on, the general message of what you do, I find very positive, especially in the light of the whole conversation about climate change and climate crisis, which is usually like, okay, we cannot do anything else. Just, you know, what happened, happened. There is not much to change. I mean, often this responsibility is pushed on personal choices. Like, uh, I don't know, I will stop to eat meat or whatever else. But um I don't know, even if I browse your webpage, I find it very positive, even like uh, surprisingly positive, I would say. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, I think it's very interesting. Is it something you've been aware of or to like deliver oh, yes. the good message? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and the thing is that I think what we do is such a good thing. It's such a positive thing that we want to tell people that, you know, you, you can do good things. You can do good things to help the ecosystem. And uh, in our team, we actually have a very good vibe going on all the time because we, I think we get energized from this fact that we actually do. So we are not doing finger pointing. We are not talking politics. We are not uh, trying to find the bad guy, like who, who caused this problem. But we are actually focusing on helping and doing something good. And I think that's really like, that's, that's the driver, like that's the driving force to, to do the work what we do. Yeah, we are extremely positive. What kind of reactions you've met so far when, when people, I don't know, hear what you do and are they, are they thinking like, oh, that's an amazing idea or, oh, you dreamers? <laughs> yeah, I think... It depends who you talk to, or you are crazy. Uh, that's maybe the third thing what we what we heard. Um, yeah. So when we started, so we've been only operating like uh, in in the lab area now for for a year, and we have achieved uh, uh, amazing results. I have to say, and and people are starting to trust us more. So they see that okay, like those guys are actually doing what they said. So. Nowadays, we get more like, oh, my God, you know, it's amazing what you do. And, and, and it's actually extremely moving to, to get all these emails from people just offering their help. Like, I don't even know these people. And they're just writing us and saying, like, you know, I'm a lawyer. And if you ever, like, need uh, a legal advice, you know, I want to help you guys. Um, just an, as, as one example. So we get a lot of these things. And it's just really nice to see that that people want to be part of the good thing. As you said, you know, there's a good vibe and that, you know, like we have a certain positivity and I think people actually want to be part of that and, and they can see that, okay, right, you know, with these guys, you know, something might, something good might happen. And um, so, yeah, so we get, we get a lot of positive feedback. So nowadays it's more like, oh my God, that's amazing what you do. It used to be, uh, right, okay, sounds interesting, but, you know, so you see this transformation <laughs> of that, let's say. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, 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 definitely. But I, I think it's everything, right? You know, when you start to do something new um, and, you know, we were talking about building a completely new ecosystem uh, in Finland and being a, a startup at the time, it was like, me and and uh, a 
a co-founder uh, working on it. So, of course, I understand that people think that, you know, who the hell are you? And suddenly two of you to step into the Ministry of Environment or or somewhere there to tell this, you know, we want to build something like that. And they go like, okay, good for you. You know, I understand. I really do. So you need to earn the credibility as well. And uh, and I think we've done it. We've done, done it very well. Uh, would it be possible that you describe to us briefly, like, uh, how do you actually... Uh, harvest the the microalgae let's say the the blue green algae in this case is it is it something very complex like uh, is it in the deep waters is it in the shallow waters happening is it underwater is it just close to the surface right yeah it's actually uh It's not very complicated, the technology. And we have not developed this technology. We uh, found a Finnish company, um, and they've been working for the cyanobacteria problem for a long time. And they've been going through different type of uh, technology development phases themselves. And when we got together, they basically told us where they are. And we said that, okay, we will just... Uh, test the technology to see how it works. And the technology works fairly straightforwardly. So you have uh, the main action is uh, filtration. So you filtrate the water through a certain type of a filtration cloth and it has the right porosity. So you, your cyanobacteria or the blue-green algae uh, will be stuck on this cloth. And then you just remove that by vacuum. So it's basically and like a sieve, it. let's say. Somehow, you could call it that way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with cyanobacteria, the nice thing is that when you have a bloom, uh, you have a lot of stuff concentrated on the surface of the water. So it can go from 20 centimeters depth to 50 centimeters or something like that. So you operate on uh, fairly shallow waters. And then you just collect the, we call it a porridge because it really like when you have a high concentration, it's almost like a porridge. So it's fairly easy to harvest when you have it concentrated like that. Um, so that's when I was, I was just mumbling before about this understanding the ecosystem, the right window for the harvesting and all that. So that's uh, a big part of it. All right. Um, so it's very seasonal yeah. in a way that you, you do not do it all year round, but actually when when there is like a proper time to do so. Yeah, it is seasonal, definitely. And of course, uh, in Finland, because uh, we have, you know, we have the winter, meaning that the Baltic Sea is covered with ice, which is a good thing. So we are looking at the maximum day days of, uh, of harvesting. So our season actually started now. <laughs> yeah, this is what I mean. Like, uh, wow, so it, it, it will start to be very busy now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, summer is always a very exciting time for us. Wow, that's amazing. Where, where, would you, where do you imagine yourself in, I don't know, 10, 20 years with, with all of this? Yeah, I see us uh, having uh, maybe two production sites, one in Finland and the other one somewhere, maybe in Caribbean, who knows. And um, I see us developing the next generation products from the same feedstocks. 
And I somehow see that we still have a, a very good vibe going on. And I think we are, we are as excited as we are today, uh, discovering new things from these amazing, amazing uh, feedstocks. And, uh, and I think we might be able to see, you know, some first results uh, for better um, water quality, let's put it in this way. Mm, it also seems that there are no like uh, immediate solutions for this kind of environmental problems. No, definitely not. I this is like when you enter this field, you know, you enter there for life. <laughs> like you you have to you have to like to run a marathon. Like it's really it's really like that. And you have to be able to to think uh long term. And, uh, and and I think that's really, really the key thing. Of course, for the team, you have to bring the good things like that people can can get, you know, excited every day, uh, knowing that we are here for long term. But um, but, yeah, I think when you are dealing with nature in general, um, especially from the angle of improving the situation, uh, you are there for for a very long term. But when you are doing that, you know, exploiting or or doing like bad things for the nature, then you see the results fairly quickly. Do you think that the problem of uh, eutrophication, which we are mainly talking here about, could be also somehow tackled from like a personal standpoint or is just very like systemic? And so I'm mostly thinking here about our listeners who who might be wondering is it you know like uh, what what's what's our place in this all do we have any influence on 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 this process in baltic sea and beyond we do we are the most important players so what you mentioned before you said that okay stop eating meat and all that i think we are so fed up hearing that but there is a very important message there Um, I think all the choices we make, uh, they have a huge influence for the whole ecosystem. For example, like when you are choosing your soap, like you you wash yourself with, that's one of the key things because everything which goes down to the drain will end up in the ocean. Even though that we have water purifications uh, between, but most of the things will go through. So I think... To look at the cosmetics you use, to look at the everyday washing liquids you use, being that cleaning your house or you know washing yourself or washing your dog <laughs> or or whatever, it's very very important. And to pay attention for um, water usage as well, it's very important. In Finland, we are very lucky to have all that water, as we always say, but it's not there forever. So that's also very important for the oceans is to uh, to have like I always tell people to have moderation in everything. It's just it, it, it's it's a good start to start thinking like what do I actually need and do I need to have all that? And it comes to the textiles, it comes to the clothes you buy. Um, if you buy, I'm always saying H and M five euros T-shirt which was produced somewhere in Asia. And they used a dyeing process, so the dyes and all that waste ended up in the oceans. And so, yeah, we are the key players here. It would be too easy to go and like do finger pointing. So, well, it's not me, but it's you know it's those guys. But no, 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 it's all of us. 
And regarding the, I don't know, like uh, cosmetics, soaps, uh, cleaning um, stuff we use at home. So what is something which is like, we should really avoid for as as much as we can? What is the ingredient which is the most uh, harmful? Well, I think we have gone away from very harmful ingredients, luckily. So like a phosphate, we stopped using those a long time ago in Finland. So that's that's a very good thing. But just to think that do you actually like when you look at the ingredient list of certain cleaning products, I'm always asking, of course, I'm a chemist, so I understand what they do. But you don't have to be a chemist to understand. You can just think with the common sense that do I actually need to have all of these ingredients or would I be okay just to have three that you get a you get the effect anyway? And it's the same thing with, uh, I think, the washing up liquids. I mean, that's my favorite topic. I always start with that and then I, I can't never stop, but I'm trying to be short. <laughs> so it's just the thing that they use a lot of surfactants because we are so used to having these bubbles and to get this foam. And we were taught that more foam you have, better efficiency you have in cleaning. But this is not true. But it's just the way we were taught And that's why I always say that when you buy these eco-friendly, biodegradable um, washing up liquids, they don't behave like that, but they do their job. So you just have to find the right ones. It's it's a bit of a a jungle out there, I have to say, at the moment, but but it will will get improved and it, it will get better. But it's just a, it's, I think it's just a common sense to really think that what you need So basically, like uh, the the lesser in, like uh, ingredients or components are, let's say, in a, in a soap that could be seen as better, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Because if you think, like in the old days, uh, how the soap was made, they you know they didn't have all these ingredients. That's It's just true. that you need It's probably to... like two or so, three things, right? That's it exactly. If you think that you have the fat, you know, you need the fat there. And then you need to have uh, some sort of a base. So you have to have an alkaline solution. And that's it. And then you just, you know, you form it. So I, I, I think that going back to the basics is actually a very good thing. Like to learn from the past how people used to do things, you can actually learn a lot. I'm not saying that we all have to go back to like how people lived in 1920s or something like that. But I'm just saying that there are certain good things Uh, that we can we can also you know take up and and start using them. Let's definitely keep in mind all these precious thoughts Mari shared with us. From the soap, one should prioritize to use, to understanding that climate crisis goes beyond our direct experience. It might show underwater or in faraway places, and it is much more serious than skipping a swim in the sea, or lack of snow in the winter. Climate crisis is a very complex problem, and simplifying it just makes it worse. If you would like to know more about the show, listen to this episode again, or find previous episodes, please go to helsinkiopenwaves.com or fairmandradio.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. I'm always looking forward to hearing from you at hello at fermentradio.com. Ferment Radio is broadcast by Helsinki Open Waves, supported by Culture of Cultures and produced by Super Eclectic. 
Thank you for listening, keep fermenting and stay tuned for the next episode of Ferment Radio.